All right, well, we're going to turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 10, Romans chapter 12 today. Short reading for this morning's sermon, just one verse. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning and we thank you for your word. Lord, may it today be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we see through it the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. May he be exalted in our midst as the Spirit illuminates to us your words. Or may he be, may he be known, may he be magnified, and in turn, may our lives come into submission to him. Or may we see your word as our authority in all of life and practice. May we love what it tells us, for it is truly life to us, strength, hope, encouragement, guidance, deliverance, comfort in the time of need, peace, both between you and between our fellow man. It's presented to us in your word. Lord, may we embrace it this morning. May we live it out. Lord, I pray for churches in our city that are coming to open your word and hear from you this morning as well, Lord. And I pray for them that you would, you would allow their time to be a time in which they do hear your word preached faithfully, that they do present Jesus Christ gloriously, that they do declare the gospel in power. Lord, I pray for Ridge Baptist Church right down the road. I pray for Iglesia Camino al Cielo. Lord, I, I pray for Harvest, a Bible chapel here in, in Joliet. I uh, ask that you would use these men as they seek to preach your word and present your word to others. Lord, I pray for Bible Baptist in Romeoville this morning. Not only pray for them, Lord, I pray for uh, our, our partner in uh, Lubumbashi, who's already had their service yet. I pray that they continue to be encouraging one another throughout your Lord's day. Lord, I, I pray for New Life Church there, that you would continue to, to allow them to be a beacon of the gospel and hope to their community. I pray for um, Riverside uh, Church in Keatway, Zambia, that you would continue to use them as, as, a, as an influence to the light of the gospel there in Zambia and, and the connection that they have with Lubumbashi and their desire to see uh, men who preach the gospel faithfully there. Just continue to give them this burden for your work and your will, and your kingdom. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather as your people this morning. Lord, may we, may we see you clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last few weeks, um, I've been preaching a series that I've entitled The Mission We All Share. And it's a vision, uh, we consider September a vision month. January is one. And that's kind of our big vision month, but then September is kind of our booster shot. We get a shot in the arm of what God has called us to do. 
And this morning, our focus is on relational community. So we've looked at uh, uh, disciple-making the first week, and then last week we looked at the fact that God has called us to be corporate worshipers. And so today we're looking at God's call to us to relational community. And so the main point is just simply this, Christians share the mission of living in relational community. They share the mission of living in relational community. As we consider shared mission, I've, I've... the first week I talked about how sports teams and that, that analogy can help us, that the teams have one mission that they all seek to accomplish, and that is to win, right? They seek to win. You know, we talked about the military last week and how, how militaries of, com- uh, of countries have the same mission and they're seeking to uh, fulfill the same mission. This week, as I was thinking about it, I thought about uh, most of us uh, work in, uh, in employment somewhere, and we have crews or, or fellow co-workers we work with. Maybe it's, maybe it's a seasonal thing that we work for. Maybe it's something we, we haven't, uh, maybe it's for the younger guys that haven't experienced that yet, but maybe you've come and, and worked on, you know, the, at the church for Stuart God's house or something. You, clean, you get on a cleaning crew, and, and what do you have? You have a mission. You have a job that you're all seeking to accomplish and seeking to complete. You have a goal that you're all set up to do. Now, if you have uh, ever experienced working work, work relationship like I have when I was younger, um, especially when I, I worked at a grocery store, I was a bagger, and uh, I bagged groceries, and uh, I cleaned the bathrooms, that was me, that's what I did, yeah, it's fun times. I had another guy who also bagged groceries and cleaned bathrooms too, but he, he didn't pull his weight, he didn't do his work, like I would be the one cleaning all the bathrooms, now that's not to make, make me out to be the good guy. I had my own share of other difficulties, but I cleaned the bathrooms well. And, and yet, we understand that, that sometimes, maybe you have coworkers, fellow workers, that you're like, man, I feel like they're just not putting in what I'm putting in. Like they, They're not seeing the goal and, and, and moving us towards the goal with the effort they should put into it. And the fact is, that is true. That's true in sports sometimes as well. That's true in the military as well. Not everybody pulls their weight. And the fact is, as Christians, we have to consider the fact that God has given us a mission, and we may be the very people on that mission team that God has created that may not be pulling our weight. We need to see what God has truly called us to do, and we need to pursue it with the passion with which we would pursue the God we serve. He's the one giving it to us. And so this morning, we're going to look at this relational community that God has called us to. Relational community is part of what it means when uh, we read the Apostles' Creed, and it says the communion of the saints. Um, Communion there is not referring to the Lord's table, but rather a fellowship, a tight bond, a relational aspect that the saints have with one another. In fact, the Heidelberg Confession in question number uh, 55 asks this, what do you understand by the communion of the saints? And the answer is this, first, that all and everyone who believes being members of Christ are in common partakers of Him and of all His riches and gifts. The first emphasis is that we are in communion not because of ourselves, or because of what we personally share with other people, whether we look like them, whether we talk like them, whether we think like them. That's not why. It's because of Christ. Christ is why we're in community. But he goes on to say, secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty 
readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and the welfare of other members. That we have a responsibility in our community of saints to, to do, to, to use our gifts, to care, to share. And today we're going to be looking at Romans 12, 10, and we're going to see here this care that needs to be demonstrated towards one another. Matthew Everhard wrote this, believers are expected to support each other, defend each other, pray for each other, and even rebuke each other like a steel chain that is only strong when each link does its share of the burden bearing. The church is at its most effective when each individual lives up to his or her own responsibility for the health of the body. And in the New Testament, there are more than 15 specific responsibilities commanded for the body of Christ to perform on behalf of the whole. And we can find these in, in often in the one another passages of the New Testament. And we're looking at one of them today. So we're not, don't worry, we're not going to deal with all 15 this morning. We're going to look at two specific ones here this morning. The summary, though, is this. It really, it really is a summary of what it means to love one another, to truly love one another. And we've talked about love all throughout this year. In fact, our theme is to pursue love for God and for others. We've talked about love is not just this sentiment, it's not just this emotion, but love is an action. By this we know love, John writes in 1 John, that he gave his son, that God acted on our behalf for us. And the fact is it shouldn't surprise us that when God talks about the love we're meant to have for one another, that it's an active love. It's something that we're meant to do. The Dutch reformer Wilhelmus Brackel He described our lack of love for one another as bringing about these dangers. A lack of love for one another, it displeases God. It deprives you in the congregation of a blessing. It causes the godly and the ungodly to be slandered. It obstructs the conversion of many. It offends those beginners in grace whose heart is filled with love. And furthermore, it is the cause of the decline of the church. And so this morning... Pray with God's help that we can come to Romans 12:10 and be encouraged to live out our mission of relational community of loving one another. Before we deal with verse 10, let me just give you an overview of Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12 verse 1, Paul makes this shift in his in his letter to the the church at Rome. He says, "Now I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God really are all that's been laid out thus far from Romans 1 to Romans 11. It is the gospel as he's presented it, that God is holy and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet in his love and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, not just to save the Jews, but to save the non-Jews as well, to save everyone under him, and that all who would put their trust in him will be saved. And then you get to Romans 8, and he says, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And really, this this describes that first aspect of the Heidelberg Catechism answer. that That all of us, everyone who believes, are members of Christ, and therefore members of one another. 
He goes on in verse 2 to describe that because that work has occurred, we're not to be conformed to this world any longer, but we're meant to be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we begin to think about all that God has done for this, us and all that God is continuing to do that should change the way we think. We no longer live for the pleasures we lived for before. We no longer live for the loves we lived for before. Rather, we live for God. Well, he goes on to say that we live in such a way, having renewed minds, that we're discerning what the will of God is. Why? Because we want to do it. Because we love Him. We've been saved by Him, and now we love Him. He goes on in verse 3 to say, now, because this renewed mind has occurred, live humbly. Think of yourselves humbly. It's not about you anymore. It's about Jesus Christ. So think humbly about yourself. And as you think humbly about yourself, you'll see that God has not saved you individually as an island to yourself, verses 4 and 5, but rather He has saved you to live within a community, the body of Christ. You are a part of His body, each of us being members of that body. Verse 6 through 8, He describes the gifts that we're meant to use to serve the body. In verse 9, our service is to be done in genuine love. That is no mere sentiment, but concern for good. He says, let your love be genuine. Now in our translation in the ESV, it says it, it kind of breaks it and then says abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. But these are actually participles. They're meant to be read loving, love in a way that's genuine, abhorring. Like this is the application, abhorring that which is evil and holding fast to that which is good. The way we truly love in a genuine way is the way God loves to bring about the good in one another. And then the following section, verses 10 through 13, Paul uses nine nouns in the dative sense to, to tell us how that love is meant to look. And so we're going to look at two of those in verse 10, but let me just list them for you. If, if I were to translate them uh, using the dative, I would add as to before each of the nouns or regarding this or concerning this. And the first one is brotherly love. He says, as to brotherly love, be affectionate, verse 10. And then in verse 10 as well, as to honor, be outdoing one another. In verse 12, we see he says, as to zeal, do not be lazy or slothful. Again in verse 11, as to the Spirit, be fervent. Verse 11 as well, as to the Lord, be His servant serve Him. As to hope, in verse 12, rejoicing. As to tribulation, again, verse 12, be patient. As to prayer, be consistent or constant. And then, as to the needs of the saints, be contributing, be helping. There's three of them that directly deal with our relationship with other Christians. And that's the, the, the first two, and then that last one, that's the needs of the saints. The other six deal indirectly um, with these relationships. And so we're going to focus in on those first two, as to brotherly love and as to honor. And my question is, what do these two expressions of genuine love teach us about the church as a relational community? We know we need to live in some way towards one another. 
I mean, you see that commanded in Scripture. We hear it in the, the, the confessions, and we see it in uh, the catechisms, that there's this idea, we should know this, but how is it meant to look? So first of all, this, we live in relational community because we are family. We live in relational community because we are family. We're spiritual family. God's family. This is the point of this term, brotherly love used here. It's actually a combination of two Greek words, one for love and one for brother or sister, sibling. So this idea of this dad of noun combining these two Greek words for love so that we can see that there's this relational aspect to our love. This, this idea of how we're meant to look at one another. We're supposed to look at one another as brother and sisters. But not only that, we see there's a second word used here. It's a word for love as well. It's, it's the word that's translated affection. And it's actually only used in this verse, in the whole Bible. And this is one that seeks to convey an idea of devotion towards someone who you're closely related to. Um, often it's used in other literature to refer to the devotion that a parent has for a child. This is the kind of devotion that we're meant to have. A connection, a, a loving dearly of a family relationship, someone who's immediately in our family circle. This is the kind of love that Paul describes. And I think, it's, I think it's so amazing that he's not content to just use one word for love. He has to use two words for love. And if we combine verse 9, he actually uses three different words for love. This is how much love God's people are meant to have for one another. But it's meant to look like family. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he, he describes Christianity as a hallway with many doors. And as we come to this passage and understand love, we have to, we have to understand that there is a universal family of God's church. Those who truly have trusted in Jesus Christ, those who truly preach the gospel faithfully, are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they exist all across uh, this globe and across time itself. This universal family of orthodox Christianity, those who believe God's word, those who preach God's word faithfully, they are our family. They may have some differences. You know, you can think of each of the doors as maybe different denominations. And yet, to be on that hallway means they preach the gospel and the truth and they hold God's word as their authority. And we should view them as family. And many, many people in the past have left our church to go to other churches. And what, how are we meant to respond to that? We're meant to say, we're on the same team. We're a part of the same family. We encourage them. We are glad that they go to a church. Some people come here and visit our church and decide on another church. I'm glad they go to church <laughs> where they preach the gospel. That's what I want. We're not on different teams. We're not different family. We are the same family. And we're meant to love each other with brotherly, sisterly love. Devoted to one another. But that's not the only way the Bible talks about God's family. It also talks about it as a local family. A universal family and a local family. The local family is your church. The people that you rub shoulders with on a 
weekly, maybe sometimes even daily basis. Those who you have covenanted together with to be a part of this church. Those who endure faithfully to the end side by side with you. Not only is that universal family your family, but this is your family. These are people you are meant to show brotherly, sisterly, devoted love to. It's not based on our being friends. It's not based on our sharing similar interests or having similar lifestyles. We are family because God made us His family. It's by the mercies of God that we live this way. Because why? Because God made us who we are in His Son, Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what connects us. That is what connects Christians to one another. We are all connected in this way. If we're we're connected in some other way, unrelated to Christ, it is truly insignificant compared to the way we are connected to each other through Christ. There is nothing like it. Nothing at all. Number two, we live in a relational community because families should love each other. That sounds basic, but I think it needs to be said. Not only do we live in families, but families should love each other, especially God's family. In fact, this is what Jesus said of his family. He said, people will know you by your love for one another. That's how they'll know you. That is the way you're going to be known by the world. And according to our text, that kind of love is meant to be brotherly. So what does that mean? Think about your relationship with your sibling, if you have one. Or if not, think about the sitcom you watched the other day. I had a brother or whatever. Think about the Cleavers, Wally and Beaver. Um, maybe, uh, uh, you know, Theo, how he acted in the Cosby show. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> Not always. Anyway, there's a lot of different things we can bring up when it comes to brotherly love. Now, obviously, obviously when, when God's tying his truth to that, he's not thinking of the brokenness that often happens in family, but but what should be there, what could be there. And, and here's some of the descriptions I thought of as I thought of what brotherly love looks like. We love no matter what happens or what our sibling does. We're still brother. Still my brother. Still my sister. We love. We love without demanding love in return. Especially if you're an older sibling to a younger sibling. Sometimes they don't, they don't get it. Like they don't, they don't see that you're loving them, and yet you're loving them. And, and, and even when they don't give it back, guess what? You're still loving them. You're like, ah, I buy them candy all the time because I want them to know how much I love them. That's, that's, my, that's my, my, how I love people. I like buy them slushies and things like that, right? <laughs> yeah. But they never buy me anything in return. But that's okay. I just want them to know I love them. I care about them. We love even if love is not returned to us. We love by speaking truth, even hard truth, telling it like it is. I remember my brother one time coming to me when I was young and just saying, Brian, this was not how you should live. And he's doing it because he loved me. We speak hard truth. We love by building up, but also by correcting. We love by protecting and by sticking by, by them through thick and thin. Sometimes 
you know, rather than seeing ourselves maybe as the older brother, we sometimes need to see ourselves as the, the younger brother and look up to. Part of love is looking up to the ones around us who are strong and who have truth to speak to us. We look up to them by humbly learning from them. We, you know, you, if you've ever had younger siblings able to teach them something, and they're just, I just want to be with you, follow you around, you show me how to do something. They are humble learners. And that's, that's a brother loving his older sibling. I just, I just want to learn from you. And that's how we should respond. But brother love, we're humbly learning from one another. We're looking up to one another. But he doesn't just say it's like a brother, it's devoted like a, a parent to a child, which, which describes as we're loyal to the spiritual good of one another. We are devoted to your good, which means sometimes we have to take, take the, 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 the back talking or the, the, the trouble that comes by speaking truth because we want your good. We're so devoted. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if as a parent you've had to deal with, you know, telling your kids to do something and they're like, no, uh-uh, not doing that. I'm not saying I have, but... You know, <laughs> throw my kids under the bus right now. No, I'm, just, I'm saying just, it happens, right? And what do you do? Do you say, well, I'm not your parent anymore. I'm done. No, what do you do? You keep pursuing their good. You know, all right, well, there's consequences to this, and this is going to come, and we got to do this now. Be- why? Because you're, for their, you're loyal to them. You're devoted to them. This is the kind of idea that Paul is describing us as a church. That's how we're meant to be in this relational community of love for one another. And we may not agree, we may not see eye to eye, but we are committed to one another because we are God's family and that overrules every other difference. And therefore, we love one another. We love. My family should love one another. And that's what we are to do. We're called God's family, so we're, therefore, we're meant to to love. Number three, we live in relational community because families need each other. We're made a family. Families are meant to love, but families need each other. I think that's part of what's going on in the second phrase. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor is this idea of value or respect or assigning a high status to someone. Our human tendency is to honor or value ourselves unduly most of the time. We want to honor and value ourselves. We consider ourselves better than others. And in fact, if I were to rephrase that point, my third point, to reflect our normal human tendency, I would say that we live in relational community because our family needs us. <laughs> You're, you guys just need me. You just need me. That's what it is. That's our human tendency. They are blessed to have me, but I don't really need them. Yet, that's not how Paul intends for us to live, reflecting God's truth to us. But even in our human tendency to want to honor ourselves, we do honor some amazing people or someone who we look up to. We currently live in a celebrity culture, but I'm not sure if there ever was a culture that didn't have its own version of celebrities, yet we have many of them. 
And so we tend to value highly some sports figure or some music figure or some comedian or, or, or someone like that. We, we can often honor other people who we see as extremely valuable. But that is not how we should read this call to honor. It's not just for celebrities. He's not just saying, well, if, if there's a really great Christian in your family, then give them some honor. That's not what he's saying. Not even talking about Christian celebrities. This verse is meant to be applied to everyone in our Christian family. Everyone. You need everyone in your Christian family. You may not always see it that way, but you need everyone. Even even the one that you kind of struggle with at times and you think, man, they can be annoying. You need them. Even they have value. God has put each person into each of his local churches for a reason, for a purpose, to build up the body of Christ, and you need them. My grandfather uh, started a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, there is, we were just there for graduation of my niece. And in one of the rooms, there's a picture of the pastors. And there's a picture of my grandparents, and there's a picture of the pastors after them. And eventually, there'll probably be a picture of the current pastor there later on. But on the other side, of, and they, they honor them. And it's, it's right to honor your pastors. And I think that was, that's great that they did that. But on the other side of that same room, there's a picture of one man. Under it says Howard. And... That man is someone that the church chose to show honor. And when I was in high school, I remember Howard. Um, he's since passed. Um, but he, um, he was faithful to church all the time. He would, he would sit in the church services. I would remember um, him standing outside and greeting people and talking to them. But he had a lot of um, mental and physical issues and impairments. And when Howard would come and talk to you, his hands would shake and he'd be trying to reach to shake your hand and it would be difficult to do and his talk would be very, very slurred and everything. And yet he was there faithful and he was the nicest guy I ever knew, it seemed like. And he was always constantly talking to people and trying to find out how they were the best that he could. He'd sit in the church and he would try to sing and you could hear his voice bellowing through the audience he couldn't carry a tune. He could barely even say the words of the songs. And yet he sang. And that church said, this is someone we want to honor. This is someone who is precious to us. That's our brother and sister in Christ. That's how we should think about each one of us. Sure, we all have our quirks and we all have our issues and we all have our disabilities and we all have our brokenness but we are one in christ and we need each other we we need to be reminded that our value isn't what's important but that christ is glorified as we honor one another in fact this is the very mind of christ paul tells us in philippians the mind of Christ is to esteem another better than ourselves. And then he goes on to say, in Christ, being fully God, humbled himself and became a man. Why? 
to be obedient to God and to death, even death on the cross. And what did that accomplish? That accomplished our salvation. He put our interests above his own. He valued us above the value of his own life so that he might make us his people. He goes on to say here that we're meant to outdo one another. The word here is, is actually, it could be de- described as to go before or to show the way or even to be eager. It's like you want to be the first in line to make much of someone else. You're not waiting for someone else to give you honor and then you'll kind of like reciprocate. Like, oh, hey, you look great today. Well, thank you. Yeah, I know, but you do too. No, no, you're the first to do it. You're the first to give it. You're always looking for ways in which God's people are serving or God's people are growing or God's people are, 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 are caring for others. They're, they're living out this love for one another and you're looking for it. And when you see it, you're like, hey, hey, that's amazing. That's Christ in you. Thank you for showing that. Thank you for displaying that. You want to be the first to show them honor. You want to be outdoing one another in the honor that you give. Family should be honored and valued, not taken for granted. Christians are not to live in a relational community to find their value, but to show how much they value others. The fact is, we should come just like Christ to serve and not be served. Why? Because we value each other. I value so much, I want to come and serve. I want to come and, and give myself uh, to you. I mean, I think of the, 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 the people that give each week to, to serve in our children's department. I mean, they, they so value these kids that they're willing to give of their time. They're willing to give of themselves to serve them. That's how we should think of everyone in the church. You are valuable enough for me to give of my time and of myself to you. This honor and valuing is... One another is the fruit of humility. It really is. Like to truly live in relational community as God has called us, we need true acts of love and we need true acts of humility. It's going to take that. Without those two core things, all the rest of the one another's fall apart. You know, to try to bear one another's burden and yet not be humble or loving. What does that mean? I'll I'll help you to a point. (laughs) And then I am done. Because you're not being motivated by valuing them above yourself. The humility that comes with that. You're not being motivated by love. Now, you may not be able to always bear their burden in the same exact way. You want to be helpful and not hurtful. But you're still going to be involved. You're still going to be loving. You're still going to seek to give up yourself to them. That's what we're called to do. We are each part of God's family meant to live for Him, love Him, obey Him. And that looks like loving, humbly loving one another. As that Heidelberg Catechism said, everyone must know it to be its duty to readily and cheerfully employ His gifts. Why? For the advantage and the welfare of of the other members. We're, we're, we're to know it's our job to give of ourselves to each other. That's what we're meant to do. 
So in application, what would I say? First of all, know this. We share, you share in the God-given mission of living in relational community. The universal family of God and your local family of God, you share in that mission. I don't want us to miss that. You share, I share, we all share in this mission. Secondly, pray. What can we pray? Lord, help me love and cherish my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me truly cherish them. May I not live for myself or live to myself, but as part of your family. May I honor, may I value each of my Christian brothers and sisters. Maybe even pray, humble me. Humble me that I might benefit from your glorious family. May you as our Father be glorified. Lastly, walk. First of all, I'd say start viewing your spiritual family as your family. Call them your family. Don't, uh, Don't try to dismiss yourself from your responsibility by viewing them as something other than family. By trying to define them in some other way. God says you're part of the family. If you have professed Uh, your faith in Jesus Christ. You're part of the family, and therefore, he expects you to live as part of the family. So begin viewing it that way, sharing it that way. And secondly, show some brotherliness and sisterly. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to make it up. Brotherliness, sisterliness to one another. What does a good brother look like? What does a good sister look like? Well, that's what I'm going to be. That's what I'm going to be with them. I'm going to be like a good brother. I'm going to be like a good sister. I'm going to be devoted to them. Loyal to their good. So Some of us can be loyal, sometimes to the detriment. God's Word calls us to be loyal to their good. Always pursuing their good, wanting their good. You know, maybe, maybe it's that position. You're the, you feel like you're the older brother in the, in the situation, and they're the younger brother. And so you're, you want them to grow up healthy. You want to grow, grow up strong. You want to grow up smart, knowing things. You know, that, that's how... I didn't have a younger brother, but so I would feel like I, we just had this this little baby in our house, and uh, I, I want him to grow up in such a way that he knows and understands life, but also God's word, God's truth. Like that's what I want from him, and I'm like I, I'm so loyal to that good in him, and, and praise God, he's at a home that goes to a church faithfully, that preaches the gospel, and. Uh, we did a lot of research on the church. so. <laughs> but I mean, that calms my heart because there's this loyalty to him, not just to him alone, but to his good, his true good, his eternal good. And that's how we're meant to be with one another. I mean, the, the last call here in, in verse 13 of these nouns is to consider to contribute to the needs of the saints. And we need to do that. But we must not run past the eternal good just to care for the temporal good. We must see there's, they both are there, but ultimately the eternal good will last. We need to be loyal for our good, spiritual good. We need to pray for one another. I think that's something that's often missed in our world today. As Christians, you know, pray for one another. Speak truth to them. Show concern and care. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive them. Endure with them. The brother that sticks with you no matter what. 
yeah, you guys have yelled at each other's, in each other's face, and yet you're still brothers. And the next time you get together, you're just embracing, hugging, patting each other. And we're, we're endure with one another. And that's what it looks like. The devoted love that's committed, that's enduring. Don't bail on them. But I would encourage you to read a section of Scripture. Obviously, you could continue to read in Romans, but um, Ephesians would be the place I would encourage you to go. Read the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. He reminds us of who we are in Christ. That's how we've been created. And then he goes into all these details in the second half of Ephesians on how you should live out as a family of God. Read Ephesians. How can, should I live as a part of the body of Christ is what I would ask as I read through there. How would I live as that? We need to embrace the fact that God has saved us not to be alone. Not just me and Jesus. Jesus as the head, and we as his family, as his body, together. He saved us to be in relational community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth from your word today. Lord, I ask that as, this, as part of this local church, Lord, that you would continue to grow us in our understanding of what it looks like to be your family. Lord, I thank you for the family members I have here and for the expressions of love that I have experienced from them, but I pray that we would continue to grow in it, that you would continue to mold us and make us more like Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray for uh, the, the universal family as well. Lord, may we truly be known by our love. May, may we truly, uh, there are times when we stand for truth. That is true. We must do so. There are people that call themselves Christians that are not. Lord, we know this. But yet there are brothers and sisters in Christ that we can stand next to and embrace in love. And I pray that we would truly be known for our love. Lord, that we would truly be actively demonstrating the love of Christ in our lives. Lord, may that be true of us. May we truly display what the church is meant to look like. In Jesus' name, amen.